Today on Cyburns and Cigarettes, we've got a packed discussion for you. Killer swordsmanship, the looming threat of old age, pyromania, sexy radio DJs, and for God's sake, could someone tell Goyamon what a girlfriend actually is? He's pretty. Hello and welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a Lupin the Third podcast. A podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. Well, we've reached the end of our trilogy of episodes recorded way back in March of last year. Time most certainly does fly by when you're both having fun and when you're speeding through a chaotic and uh, all-around all terrifying year, apparently. But before we start the show, I've got some quick updates. If you didn't happen to see our announcement on Twitter a while back, we are now officially on Spotify. Plus, we also have a pretty snazzy Instagram account. If you'd like to follow us on those platforms, the link's right there in the bio for you. Now, an even more exciting update is that our next episode will be a review of Lupin the Third, the First, which will be having its U.S. home video release this month. We have been dying to talk about this for a long, long time now, and, uh, what better time to do it than when you can have a physical copy in your hands? And next month, we'll even be releasing a commentary track for the film. Which should be pretty fun, to be honest. So honestly, you've got a lot to look forward to this month on Cyberns and Cigarettes. We can't wait to share it with you. Now, on to the episode at hand. On this episode, we'll be covering episode 5 of part 1, The Coming of Goemon Ishikawa the 13th. Once again, directed by Masaki Osumi and written by Tadaki Yamazaki. He uh, wrote some episodes for Ashino Joe, Moomin, Saint Seiya, Star of the Giants, as well as the films Danger Pays and Youth of the Beast. Now, Youth of the Beast being interesting because that is directed by none other than Seijin Suzuki, who, uh, well, you know, just co-directed Legend of the Gold of Babylon. And of course, Yamazaki also wrote a few episodes for Lupin the Third Parts 1 and 2. But before we jump into the discussion, we're turning the show over to our delightful co-host, Will. Today, he'll educate us on the man who blessed all of part one with some wild and downright groovy beats, Takeo Yamashita. Take it away, Will. Greetings, Lupantic folks! Here we go again for a new trivia segment by yours truly. While it is difficult, if not impossible, to pinpoint one definitive aspect of the Lupin III franchise, one of its defining attributes is most certainly its music. When you think of Lupin III, its characters or its universe, there will always be some kind of music ringing in your ear. Accents of jazz and funk, sometimes cool and smooth, other times bombastic and urgent. In other words, you hear Yuji Ono's music. 
the jazz composer, lovingly nicknamed The Boss, has been composing music for the franchise since 1977 and has been involved in the vast majority of Lupin's animated production ever since, with his latest work featured in the CGI film Lupin the Third the First in 2019. But here's the thing. Yuji Ono did not compose the music for part one. As we mentioned in previous episodes, the Green Jacket series had music composed by the elusive Takeo Yamashita, also known as Yamatake. If I call him elusive, it's because there's not much info on Takeo Yamashita out there. You will have to translate his Japanese Wikipedia page to get some semblance of biography. At the very least, I can tell you that Takeo Yamashita was born on March 7, 1930, in Kobe, in the Hyogo Prefecture. A precocious child, he quickly became familiar with musical instruments, especially the flute. He would learn jazz and Hawaiian music styles on his own, and started composing at the University of Keio, where he studied law. Law? Dear Lord, thank God he chose music in the end. His compositional talents would be rewarded with a radio broadcasting prize. Around the same time, he met the artist Kiyoshi Fujishiro, for whom he would compose the music for NHK's program Student Time. NHK is a respected documentary channel in Japan. Incidentally, the NHK channel would produce quite a few Lupin III documentaries over the years, including one on the genesis of part one. Life is but a flat circle, my friends. After this first foray in the world of TV, Takeo Yamashita signed an exclusive contract with Victor Records and released the Kuroneko, meaning Black Cat, LP, in 1960 and Black Footsteps the next year. These first albums were described by the Dusty Groove website as filled with odd shapes and sounds, disembodied voices and things that go bump in the night. <laughs> oh, quite the start! Yamashita received the fourth prize for young composers at the Japan Record Awards in 1962 for his theme song for Seven Detectives. He also composed and arranged music for radio shows, TV drama and series like the live-action Giant Robo Show. The legend says he composed over 7,000 songs and themes. The only photos we have of Yamashita give little clue to his true personality. In these rare clichés of the composer, we see a man with a boxy face and butt-chin, bouffant hair, a moustache, and his eyes hidden by enormous dark glasses, either with his hand holding a cigarette or his arms crossed in a protective manner, showing a big metal watch or a massive ring on his little finger. This distinct and yet concealing look gives off the allure of a Japanese avant-garde beatnik guru which is honestly pretty fitting considering his music style. In spite of this aura of mystery, Yamashita did make a few public appearances, including an acting role in Ko-chan no Tonkachi Utajiman in 1970 for Nihon Television, where he played a judge. Huh, I guess his law degree did help after all. If you've ever watched Lupin III Part 1 or got to listen to the soundtrack albums, you probably realize the music is, in a word, strange. We are far away from the polished orchestral savviness of Yuji Ono's standards. 
Takeo Yamashita's titles feel raw, abrupt, like garage rock, or on the contrary, melancholic and dreamlike, sometimes to the point of eeriness. Which fits the tone of the Green Jacket series quite well, especially the earlier, awesomely directed episodes, where the narrative was sometimes loose and rough, with moments of calm contemplation. I find a strange resemblance between Yamashita's style of musical arrangements and French singer Serge Gainsbourg's mid-1960s Yeye face. Takio Yamashita adds slightly Hispanic or Latino undertones with some tracks having a samba-like tempo or even brass. He also used the aforementioned disembodied voices with feminine chants or Charlie Cosey's languid lament to enhance the melody. Yamashita was also fond of whistling, of which he was said to be an expert. It was Yamashita himself who whistled versions of some of the songs for Lupin III Part 1. Charlie Cosey is the other side of Part 1's music. Born on October 14, 1960, Charlie, real name Yoshiro Hiroishi, was born and raised in Kobe, just like Yamashita. Charlie's parents were of Chinese and American descent. Young Charlie started his music career in 1968 as singer and bass player for the rock band The Helpful Soul. His first foray in anime music was the animated movie A Thousand and One Nights, an adaptation of Osamu Tezuka's version of the famous Arabic epic poem. Charlie would get acquainted with music producer Atsumi Tashiro, who decided to rename Charlie's band Helpful Soul. In other words, he pulled a Justin Timberlake from the social network. Sadly, the group would disband the same year. Sometimes you need to keep the va. This was not the end of Tashiro and Kosei's partnership, though, since it is thanks to Tashiro that Charlie Kosei was hired to perform the different songs of Lupin III Part 1. Since 1982, Charlie lives a peaceful life in his own town of Kobe. He opened his own bar, called Charlie's, and founded his own music label. He is still active and performs along with other artists, always glad to sing his old Lupin III tunes, particularly the ending, Walter P. 38. As the name implies, the song mostly focuses on the lethal side of Lupin, illustrated by his signature weapon and his powerful car. Other songs include the delightfully weird Nice Guy Lupin with English lyrics, where Kosei, in his laid-back tone, paints a contradictory portrait of Lupin as both a nice and dangerous person in broken sentences. While none of the songs shine by the subtlety of their lyrics, Charlie fully commits to them, which is their selling point. They also contribute to the very western tone of the first series. These qualities, plus the relative repetitiveness of the tracks, may give the impression of an unfinished product, something that was made in haste. And yet, I feel we are being unfairly harsh towards Yamashita and Kosei's music. We are more used to Yuji Ono's directly identifiable and also more conventional music style than Yamashita's own blend of jazz, rock, samba and brass. In other words, Ono's music is not only more iconic, but also more easily approachable. Still, Yamashita's compositions have merit in their uniqueness and otherworldly quality. It fits the world of the Green Jacket series, less urban, more uncertain, and yet strangely consistent. 
with its fields, woods, cabins, and lonely houses, its cliffs, the unforgiving sea, and the roads that always seem to be built near a precipice. Part One's world, while still identified as Japan, is very much its own beast. While Miyazaki and Takahata will progressively stir the series away from this setting and put our characters in more urban sets, with buildings, stores, stadiums and high roads, the music will not change completely, Yamashita keeping with that special blend of genres and instruments, but adding more joyful accents to the mix. While Yamashita would not compose for the series ever again, his standards gained some recognition and praise, and a remix album was released in 2002 under the title Lopan III Takeo Yamashita Rebirth 71 Original Score. Now that's a mouthful. Produced and arranged by Toru Yamashita, son of Takeo. So at least we know he had a son. Toru, who would accompany his father in the recording studios while he was still in elementary school, had the daunting task of directing the new recording, trying his best to capture the feeling of the original tracks. In my humble opinion, I think he succeeded, though he also put his own fusion-style spin on it. Helped by a great team of veterans, including the always faithful Charlie Kosei, and newer talents like the group The Wind Wave, led by Naohiko Hatano. Takeo Yamashita sadly died on November 21st, 2005, from cerebral thrombosis at his home in Yokohama. He was 75 years old. However, his contribution to the Lupin franchise would not be forgotten. Just as Masaaki Osumi's distinct tone got a spiritual successor in both A Woman Called Fujiko Mine in 2011 and the Takeshi Koike films, the music composers for these two projects, respectively Nariyushi Kikuchi and James Shimoji, would pay tribute to Yamashita's sensibilities in their own way. Kikuchi, in particular, would provide the Mine Fujiko series an ambitious soundtrack, merging rock-like tones, bebop, Indian chants, African percussions and scat, hearkening back to Takeo Yamashita's own love for mixing genres and musical cultures. This convergence may not be mere coincidence. As I have found out that Nariyoshi Kikuchi, who started as a saxophonist, worked on a vinyl disc produced and arranged by Yoshide Otomo, featuring two of the Lupin III songs originally composed by Takeo Yamashita with Charlie Kosei back for vocals. You can never keep a good Charlie down. Considering the Mine Fujiko series takes place before Part 1 and features a tone reminiscent of both the original manga and the Green Jacket series, it is no surprise that Kikuchi, who was already familiar with Yamashita and Kosei's music, was hired to compose. On the other hand, Shimoji's compositions are less raw and multicultural than Kikuchi's, but have that sense of coolness, danger, and sometimes melancholy that Yamashita's music had. Shimoji, who already worked with Koike on the Red Line movie, tailors each soundtrack to the movie's specific atmosphere and setting. While Yuji Ono's legendary titles have become standards and will always be associated with Lupin III, there is room for Yamashita's own brand of craziness. And just as Lupin, both the character and the franchise as a whole, are highly adaptable, so should the music. Toru Yamashita remembers a puzzling and yet revealing phrase of his father's while he was still composing for Lupin III Part 1. Takeo Yamashita said to his son, 
How do I arrange this music for it to become rock? An enigmatic quote from an enigmatic composer. And an ambivalent type of music for an ambivalent type of hero. After all, Lupin is a nice man. But he gets angry. Sometimes. If you enjoyed my work and want to find out what else I do with my free time, you can find me at William Babe, B A B E Y, on Twitter, Guillaume Babe, G U I L L A U M E B A B E Y, on Instagram, and as Shin Red Deer, S H I N R E D D E A R, on Deventart. Thank you for listening. See you next time, Lupantic folks, and a happy new year. Someone barbecuing? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> my window's open in my in my room in the apartment complex, and I'm just like, is someone barbecuing? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I don't Take care. Five. <laughs> no, this is how this is how this segment's gonna start. <laughs> That's gonna be the opener. Yes. Is someone barbecuing? I can see it now. It's like, is Lupin burning? No. Is someone barbecuing? Perhaps. Perhaps. I'm so sorry. Oh my god. I started crying for laughing so hard. So with that, we are starting discussion of episode five. (laughs) Which is the coming of Goemon the 13th. Hey. Our boy. Yes. I'm, I mean, I'm happy because Goemon. It only <laughs> took him five episodes to get here. I know. But then again, <laughs> it didn't take him five manga books to get there. Um, He first showed up in chapter 28, which was called, which was reprinted in volume three of Tokyo Pops version, although he didn't, doesn't actually join the, uh, crew until like two volumes later but yeah the uh the japanese title of the uh manga story is goemon is kung and the english version is master goemon which on that note i feel like the title of this episode the coming of goemon the 13th is a mistranslation a very unfortunate one yeah <laughs> because, well i mean i mean okay yeah that but you were thinking it the fact that he was referred to as uh, Goemon the 13th, though, that kind of bugs me. Because that's not his name. Because his name is just Goemon Ishikawa. This is true. Right. And I feel like, you know, the title, if I'm uh, remembering this correctly, it's referring to him as the 13th generation Goemon Ishikawa, not Goemon Ishikawa the 13th. Mm-hmm. Right. If that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. No, it does. So, it does. so it's, it's always, something the title that's always kind of bugged me, but it's not a big deal. Not really. And so speaking of uh, Goemon, we we start the episode with him in the middle of this really dense forest with these really interesting contraptions that like launch axes at him. 
It's a, yeah. It's got like a medieval like device. <laughs> like a trebuchet. It like, it. like little mini trebuchets that just throw axes at you. Yeah. I'm just Which, curious you know, if he made those. That's a good so, question. Goemon or Lupin? Goemon. Yeah. Well, 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 Lupin showed up. I don't think he made those for Goemon. All right. Yeah, because Goemon doesn't even seem to be aware that Lupin's there at first. No, yeah. yeah. Right. It just makes me wonder, like, so Goemon's like a really, like, a really talented carpenter as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, uh, the manga version of the story pretty much opens up the exact same way. Oh, wow. With the trebuchet launching axes at Goemon and him, you know, taking out the uh, large weight that's dropped from above. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a really cool scene, although I do have to wonder if he has to go and put everything back together after he finishes. Probably. And then set it up again, like, every day. Oh, yeah. Just, mm -hmm. he, he just goes to the store every morning and buys just a bunch of axes. <laughs> it's weird looks. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what you doing there, sir? Uh, uh, Training. Yeah. What is that for? Training. Reasons? <laughs> Medical reasons? <laughs> it's just very interesting. I think um, with now Goemon's introduction... There, it's not. I'm not saying it's very much similar to the manga, but as we all know, that um, Goemon was not introduced until a little bit later. In the beginning, it was always just Lupin, Jigen, the mystery girl of the week that just ended up becoming Fujiko, mm -hmm. and then uh, Zen and of course Zenigata. And Goemon doesn't come in until Monkey Punch is just like, you know what? This series needs a little bit more Japanese flair in it, and Boom! That's how we get Goemon. I just want to mention real quick, of course, my gripe is that I love Goemon very much. He's my favorite character. He is baby. But I always joke that even in the first um, season, the first series, that there's a lot of stories and a lot, and a lot of times where it's like, there's Goemon, but we don't know how to write him. There's Goemon, but we're just going to make him slice stuff. <laughs> Well, I mean, at least it's better than what he ended up doing in the TV specials after a while. Oh, yeah. Um, once we get to TV specials, I'm going to be sad for Goemon until we get to Dragon of Doom. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, was, was going to say, like, the first blue pun of the Higakone concert. <laughs> that was just embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even in Cagliostro, which is considered like the I know. the best Lupin movie oh. ever, it's like he barely shows up, and you're like, <laughs> okay. It's I, like what? Well, we'll get um, to that later. Yeah. <laughs> Look how they massacre my boy. <laughs> <laughs> my child. Also, also, I'd like to point out, you know, another gripe, you know, uh, for me with this is that, is that Goemon's character design changed quite a bit from manga to screen. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sideburns. Yeah, exactly. We're just sideburns. Everybody lost the sideburns. I mean, you know, he doesn't end up getting them until part three. And then, and then they even notes it's pure after a while. Oh, yeah. And they lost his chin. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he had the same butt chin as Zenigata. <laughs> right. And, you know, incredibly thick eyebrows as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I miss the eyebrows. You I do miss man. the eyebrows. Yeah. Oh, man. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they, huh. they babied him. They babied him for the TV shows. They made did. him a floofy boy. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, as much as I, I kind of wish they gave him sideburns more often. I do really like his design in the anime. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it seems softer, but also, I don't know, more appealing to the eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. Which, I do think that uh, 
a lot of that was also carried over from the pilot film. Right. Which is uh, kind of which is kind of odd when you think about it. Also, I'm sorry if you guys hear my cats trampling through the house right now. My God, they're going nuts. Uh, they're cats. Mm. Um. <laughs> also, to point out, he's not voiced by who would eventually voice him permanently until 2010. He's not voiced by Makio Inoue in Part One. Am I right? Oh no, you, you are right. He's voiced by him. Uh, oh boy. I should have his name here, but I don't. Because... <laughs> Quick, solve for time. His name escapes me, and I'm going to insert it. Post. Um, it just had to be like yeah. Uh, oh, I'm gonna look this up real quick. I'm gonna like... insert that text for speech. Yeah, voice. just like. His name is. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Voice actors. Doo, 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 doo. So yeah, we talked about. Well, you guys talked about for the pilot film. He was voiced by Goronaya, which is hilarious because that ends up becoming um, Zenigata. It was actually Chikao Otsuka when part one for part one. So yeah, yep. it was Chikao Otsuka who was um, voicing him in part one. And then Makio Inoue took over for part two and then voiced him up until 2010 with the one exception being um, Fuma Conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, no, I was just going this is not the last time though that uh, Goemon's original voice actor returns the character either. This is true. Right. You know, in a way that I thought was really cleverly done. Mm-hmm. But that was in, what, 2011? That was that one was uh, 2013. <laughs> oh, which is inter- interesting because like the like the original cast like their last official special was the was the last job in 2010. But they did the uh, the one OBA in 2013. The Lupin, and that was the like the Lupin family right. OBA. Yep. Which I still need to see. It looks it looks awesome. Oh, it's so good. Let's see. But I'm, uh, I love the animation in this opening scene with Goemon training. Like, mm-hmm. the mix of, like, the really bits of smooth animation and the quick cutting has, like, a real impact to it. Yeah. The action oh, yeah. in part one is really well animated. Especially in the Masaki Osumi episodes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Osumi definitely had an eye for action. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, back to his introduction, another thing I wanted to point out, just because I'm such a silly fangirl, but Lupin in glasses. Uh, yes. God, uh, yes. Chef's, chef's kiss. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I love it. It's like he and Jigen's introduction is one of the best things in this episode. Mm-hmm. God! It's going on just quietly training. Because this, this is the first time they've been in disguise. Yes. In yeah, so this is the first time we see... Well, no, no, because um, uh, Lupin had some disguises in the first episode. Okay. I wasn't yeah. quite yeah, sure. Notably that plumber outfit. <laughs> but no. I love Yasuo Yamada's performance. Oh, he keeps here. saying wonderful over and over. So amazing. Good job. Wonderful. Yes. Uh, so so Lufan introduces himself as an executive producer of Hero Promotions, and he, he's basically a talent scout. Uh, <laughs> or so he says. Right. Like just grabbing his suit lapels and talking really big. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which, you know, the whole hero promotions thing was not present in the manga. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Goemon had called Lupin and Jigen to meet with him for some reason, you know, not knowing who they were. And, like, I think, like, the only thing we get is that 
Goema mentions that uh, someone is after his master's alchemy formula. Mm-hmm. Lupin says, well, I'm not going to kill anybody. Goema says, no, you just find him, I will kill him. What's his name anyway? Lupin the third. But yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just there wasn't much reason given in the manga why Lupin and Jigen were watching Goemon's performance. <laughs> Creepily staring at him. Just looking at him like, yes, and then um, Goemon looks up after all the cheering and just wondering, who are these two weirdos watching me? Right. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, well, not out of nowhere, they're, of course, they're, they're astounded by how well Goemon does his craft, mm-hmm. but Lupin's still not um, sold, so what does he do? He gets Jigen to shoot. Going on, <laughs> Jigen Aura, the quick shot from America is what he calls it. <laughs> to which Jigen gets up and shows off his uh, very convincing American accent. Uh-huh. Hey, you samurai, going on, shaking his fist. Oh God, Kiyoshi Kobayashi, we love you. Oh, he is a blessing. Yes, he sure is. I love. I also love Lupin's inner monologue. Just kind of like, I want to show this asshole how much <laughs> 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 that he's See, not that cool. Yeah, that's right. the wonderful thing about the Lupin um, going on relationship, which isn't really. I feel like it isn't really cemented firmly until part five. But what I really love it's it's the classic. Um, it's this joke amongst women. The whole. How did you become best friends? Well, when I first met her, I thought she was a bitch. And <laughs> this is basically the Goimont Lupin relationship. <laughs> when I first met him, I thought he was a bitch. <laughs> Goimon just obliterates every single one of Jigen's bullets. Mm-hmm. Even... I love the switch out, too. Like yes. the, gun, the gun he switches out mid mid while pulling the trigger of one. He starts reaching back for the other one and then switches it. I love that. Mm-hmm. I also I also love the way how, after firing all the shots, Jigen notices that it's empty, and then he like glances down at the gun with a dumbfounded look on his face. Yes. <laughs> like, wait, what? What happened? None of these worked. I love how we we get the opening title. The next shot we get is just this panning shot, and we see Jigen just laying on his side, pouting. <laughs> okay, so I feel like here would be a good part to mention. A, a gag from the manga that I really wish had that the anime had included. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point in the story, when uh, Goemon and Lupin are having tea and talking, Jigen offers Goemon a cigarette. He turns it down. Suddenly, Goemon produces a pipe. Jigen suddenly whips out his lighter and offers it to him. And then Goemon pulls out a little flint and steel and starts lighting it, and Jigen just kind of sulks away. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, a little bit later, when Goemon mentions that... Uh, he's been hired to kill Lupin III, uh, Jigen does a spit take of tea into Lupin's face. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Nice. Yeah. yeah it's, like I said, I really wish the anime had done, the, had done those gags, because they were really funny. Oh, oh that would have yeah. been great. Especially the spit take. Right? Mm-hmm. Spit takes but, are fun. Very drowsy chaperone, but they're fun. I love Goemon. Lupin just kind of fawning over Goemon. <laughs> He's kind of like, you're so young to be a samurai. It's rare to see folks like you nowadays. It's like a sweet <laughs> old lady course, you know, talking. I was, I was going to say, of course, there's also uh, Goemon's uh, response to that. <laughs> I'm normal. Other Japanese are not. 
<laughs> well, well I, other Japanese are like, well, damn. <laughs> well, I was going to say, the thing else, the thing, she could say that at, other Japanese are screwed up. Look at that, because he's like, he mentions like they're all devoted to like Western novelties like pistols and rifles. Right. Mm-hmm. This is kind of hilarious in terms of the setting or the time period of this series, because um, definitely after World War II and Japanese, Japan's defeat and, and the American intervention, um, Western ways weren't really embraced fully until the late 60s, early 70s. So Goimon making that shout out that, no, I'm better than other Japanese people because other Japanese people are embracing Western ways and, you know, they're not clinging to the old traditional ways. It's a very big shout out to the change of, um, to the change of society in Japan. So It's very timely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's my my two cents as a historian but i i found that pretty astounding i was like is that something in part of the writers or just just in general or like way to show us how you feel <laughs> well i was gonna say you know with going on originally being added into the manga you know to provide some more uh, i don't know what the word look for here is some more japanese flavor into it it may have been you know intentional mm-hmm. right kind of like an old, you know, old versus new approach there. Okay, so then right after um, um, Goemon shoots the bullets and then announces, I'm here to kill Lupin Third," and then makes his gripe about society, uh, <laughs> what, uh, wait, I can't read my handwriting. What happens next? <laughs> uh, uh, one interesting, like, detail where um, Goemon talks about how his sword is like a, like, a meld of three different powerful swords, the uh, the Kotetsu, the Yoshikane, and the Masamune, were all forged well, into Goemon's sword. Now, are those names of the swords, or just the uh, swordsmiths? Probably the swordsmiths. And together they, and together they like, form a Vol... <laughs> and together they form Voltron. No. Um, <laughs> it's That's another thing. and um, One of the many different origin stories for Goemon's sword, um, or as we know it, as Zantetkin... Well, in the anime, at least. Yeah. In the uh, 1977 Lupin III manga, first chapter establishes Goemon's sword as being called Ryusei, which it means uh, shooting star, which is honestly a lot cooler than Zatenskin, which just means iron-cutting sword. Right. Mm-hmm. So after he mentions the origins of the sword, that's when he mentions that he's going to use his sword to kill one man. Oh, Lupin's just kind of like, oh, who's that? <laughs> Goemon. <laughs> just very dramatically, it says Lupin the Third, and I love Lupin just kind of like jolts back, and Jigen just <laughs> jolts up and reach, <laughs> reaches in his jacket. I feel yeah, I feel like Lupin kind of like choked on his tea when he heard his name. Yeah. yeah. Then I'm uh, so, so Lupin of course asks, uh, "Have you ever, you ever seen his face?" To which Goemon tells him he hasn't, and Lupin seems very relieved and gives like a little yes. devious giggle. That's uh, when uh, Goemon's girlfriend shows up, who is none other than Fujiko. Girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Girl. Air bunnies. <laughs> Which, yeah, I gotta say, I do like how the whole girlfriend thing was explained in the, uh, you know, Fujiko Mine series. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And mostly in that she probably isn't actually dating Goemon, but he's unfamiliar with the concept of a girlfriend, so he thinks yeah. that's what she is. Poor right. baby. <laughs> I love how Fujiko... Keep saying like, "Oh, aren't you?" Lu-? And he 
keeps finding ways <laughs> to <laughs> interrupt <laughs> <Big Spider>! <laughs> <laughs> Which Also, I gotta say, when, uh, it, when Goldman introduces this uh, talent scout to Fujiko, there's like a very, very brief moment where Fujiko like looks up at Lupin and flashes him an incredibly small smile. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like it's like oh she knows. It's like she's yeah. It's it's like a really really quick subtle moment, but I really like it. Me too. That's really good. Same. Again, the little character beats in these early episodes are so perfect. Oh yeah. Yeah. And of course, uh, Lupin and Jigen decide to split, but they run directly into a sign that says, "You must die." You must die. Yeah. I loved how they freeze framed too. <laughs> Precisely in place. <laughs> Lupin's on, like balancing on one foot perfectly. <laughs> of course, Goemon already knew who both of them were. Mm-hmm. Like he he ain't a fool. He he knew all along. He, and it was all thanks to a or, hint. Or so he says. But he, uh, so Goemon decides to give him one last challenge. Who's faster? Lupin's sprint, or going or Goemon's sword, and with a count of three, one, two, three, and uh, Lupin and Jigen share a little bit of insight too. They uh, L uh, Lupin keeps talking about a tatami mat, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. kept saying how don't be mad if uh, if we die uh, on this tatami mat, <laughs> <laughs> and then at the third count. The animation suddenly jumps up a few notches, oh, and yes. they uh, <laughs> they uh, move real quick and move the. Uh, I don't even know what exactly he does. It's almost like he just pressed his hand to the tatami mat and then flung it up at mm -hmm. Goemon as he sliced down at him. It's not quite a bulletproof table, but it'll work. Hey, it <laughs> gave them a second, right? <laughs> um, uh, of oh, course, so Goemon obviously catches up to him and challenges him a. Uh, well, Lupin challenges Goemon to just a straight-up fight, and uh, Lupin, uh, Lupin plays a little dirty. <laughs> Very dirty, actually. He <laughs> just tosses a liquid at Goemon that immediately sets on fire. Ah, uh, again with the fire in this series. <laughs> Although, it's kind of worth noting that uh, Heat was kind of what took out his ancestor. Right. Yes, uh, yes. Which, which Lupin actually mentions in the uh, next scene, I believe. Yeah. So, so not Which, only was it a little move, it was also quite insensitive. Very oh, yeah. insensitive. <laughs> it's like, it's one of those, that's too soon? Yeah, very too soon. <laughs> well, you know, like 400 years, sure, but... <laughs> yeah. The cult, well, cultural, the literary, well, literary or cultural influence is a man, a Robin Hood-like man, who ends up being boiled alive. Yay! Yay, medieval torture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, the original Goemon in Chicago is also uh, is also often depicted in pop culture as being a ninja. That yep. too. Which comes up again in part two. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Although, uh, I feel like this whole uh, Burning Man bit where Lupin <laughs> throws the uh, rocket fuel at Goemon, Goemon pulls a rope out of nowhere, wraps Lupin up, and they both go up in flames. <laughs> I love how it travels so fast up the rope <laughs> right? and completely engulfs his body. Yeah. And, again, so Something I thought was really funny in the manga that the uh, anime version didn't do is was the way the scene ended. Mm -hmm. Like in the anime, it just has them just both burning. In the manga, you know, the fire actually goes out. They both fall off the wall that they're on, and so you have like these two charred, ash-covered bodies lying there. <laughs> Jigen runs into one. It's like, Lupin, hey, are you okay? Hey, you're alive. Come on, let's get out of here. You know, puts them up on his shoulders, walks off. 
the other body's lying there, looks over at him. Gee, again. That's going on. I'm Lupin! <laughs> <laughs> Things that I wish could have been animated. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh, that would have been awesome. That's actually how uh, that story ends in the manga. You know, going by his first appearance. Mm-hmm. Like, All right, no, right. You know, we don't see him again until much later. Oh, wow. But I thought, was, I thought thinking, like, that was how they were going to end that story. Um, I love, we, we cut to uh, the same hideout from, uh, it's the same hideout from episode two, right? I think so, yeah. I think, it's, I think it's like the exact, the one from episode two and from the uh, the blood spray of Goemon Ishikawa, which we'll get to uh, about Much later. Uh, like about <laughs> ten, ten years later when all of us are married and hopefully having our first kids. <laughs> <laughs> Lupin's just completely bandaged up, except for his face, where it just has like one little cross band-aid on his cheek. Right. Yes. Of course, he's just complaining about losing, and <laughs> I love Jenkins' response. He's like, enough with the brain. What are you, a donkey? Let's see, uh, in my uh, in the bootleg I had, uh, the subtitle actually, you know, spelled out Lupin's uh, shouting of was it Mo, M O U, or whatever. And uh, in you know the bootleg I had, Jenkins like, what's with all the moving? What are you, a cow? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I wish that would I wish they would have kept that. Same. Right. Um, <laughs> great, great Doja Cat reference. <laughs> All the same time, though, I do kind of like the uh, you know the donkey line. Mm-hmm. That's when we find out that uh, Goemon is a pupil of none other than Momochi the Killer, also known as the Death God of Iga. Or as they call him in a in a bit, just to be assholes, um, or excuse me, be terrible, Gramps Momochi. <laughs> <laughs> also, can we just say that Death God of Iga is a kick-ass name for a rock album? Oh hell yes. Yeah. And also, or just uh, a rock band in general. Death <laughs> God of Ega. Oh. Well, uh, now Momochi did not appear in the uh, in the chapter that most of this episode is based on. He first appears in uh, chapter forty-six of the manga, which is called Uhani in Japanese, but books that go boom in English. In the manga, Momochi is an old man who had an alchemy formula that Lupin's trying to steal, and Goemon's a student. Aside from the name and being Goemon's teacher, Momochi's pretty much a new character in the anime. There's not, yeah, there's not much in common with the uh, manga version. It's not me going on teacher and, you know, the name. I'm, uh, with uh, Momochi, I mean, for for a dude who teaches, you know, swordplay to such a traditional person as Goemon, he's the most 70s looking dude. He is! <laughs> Looks like David oh Carradine. He does. <laughs> <laughs> wait, David, wait, David Carradine in Kill Bill or David Carradine in uh, Kung Fu? Honestly, a mix of both. Yes. <laughs> Mostly, like, with, like, the, uh, oh, what's the word you call it? Like, his vest with the, um... The tassels? Yes, the, the vest with the tassels. That's a very Bill-looking, very Bill-looking get-up there. Yeah, like, um, if there's one person who's definitely embraced... The culture of the era, it's Momochi. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, let's be honest here, though. Are you really going to insult the fashion sense of a guy they call the death god of Iga? No, not to his face. <laughs> because, because he's killed 5,000 people in 50 years. Yeah, That's a, that's a thousand that, that, a year. That's a lot. I like to think that's over-exaggerated. Or excuse me, a hundred a year. No, if it's 5,000 in 50 years. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, my math is wrong. <laughs> my my first math was wrong. Oh, now no. I was like, wait a second, too many zeros. <laughs> yeah, that that means he's killed at least a hundred people um a year, and I'm just like, on average. 
And that's the recorded ones. Awesome. And he's training this adorable little boy boy to be a killer. And it's like, no, Goemon, don't be a killer. <laughs> don't do it. No. Son, no. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's just a random organization that's going to build him a memorial just because he killed 5,000 people in 50 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, just kind of wonder, you know, how, like, you know, like, Submitting like the proposal to like the local government about this. <laughs> Just submit it as evidence. <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest monument to um, that's the biggest um monument to murder since. And uh, I don't know. I think it's a little too insensitive to say it. I was gonna make a I was gonna make an American Revolution joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I was gonna say though, you know, it's up to keep mind though that. At this point, Momoshi's still alive. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah and, he's, and, and he's still killing. Yeah. That, <laughs> so, that he is. It's kind of a strange line. I also love him. Uh, so they, they they discover that they, they thought he was dead for a while. Turns out he's not, and he's training a, a successor in the woods, and it's Goemon. Ooh. And Which so, I really like the fact that that Jigen's the one that tells him about all this. Yep. Yeah, it's something you see a lot in early part one is where Jigen does all the legwork for research. Poor <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, Jigen, yeah. the last episode, he like found all this stuff because of meeting one person uh, named one Linda. One girl's name, yeah. <laughs> no last name, nothing, just a first name. And, and now one... he finds the research on Goemon. <laughs> just by meeting a dude like once. Well, I mean, I, I guess this kind of makes sense though if you assume that you know, Jigen has underworld connections. This is true. But at the same time, um, let's applaud him for his cleverness. <laughs> That's the episode I want to see. It's just like 24 minutes of like Jigen in a big file room with a pair of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> just going through paperwork. Well, well I was going to say, there's a bit like that sort of in a good weather time machine. That's true. That's one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> it's one of my favorite episodes. It's so good. It's so weird. But we're not there yet. So Momochi uh, barges in on Goemon listening to very, very saucy DJ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, I can't help but wonder if that's supposed to be a reference to, like, an actual DJ. It might be. Maybe. If only we knew more about um, Japanese radio in the 70s. Right. Yeah, because I was I was trying to do some research on this episode, and I, I could not find anything. Even though it's one of the things, like, I just know this is a reference to a real thing. It's got to be. Right. It's too specific. Um, you, you get one of my favorite bits in the episode where, like, before Momochi barges in, like, Goemon just immediately, like, looks up and knows, switches the lights off, and they have a fight in the dark that's, like, in, like, few little moments, like, briefly illuminated by their swords clashing. It's very, a pretty scene. Yes, very Kill Bill, mm. but... Kill Bill before Kill Bill, but... Yeah. I was about to say. <laughs> like, Kill Bill stole that from Lupin. <laughs> if they did. I don't I, I don't think Quentin Tarantino knows about Lupin the <laughs> Third. If he did, though, that would be amazing. That would be. <laughs> I would... Yeah, I'd totally be okay with Tarantino directing the Lupin movie. Just saying. Me too, oh, yes. yeah. So cool. just, but, just throwing it out there. But, but, please, but please, Tarantino, less feet this time. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... I was going to say, though, with that... <laughs> I do want to know the bit with a, uh, you know, Goemon Momochi, you know, swords clash in the dark. It's supposed to be a reference to a, uh, you know, it's supposed to be a reference to a, to another movie. 
Wouldn't surprise me if it's referenced to a Kurosawa film or something. I think mm. it might be. Um, I know what film you're talking about. I kind of have to look this up again. <laughs> oh. It wasn't. It wasn't Shogun. What was it? I think it was Shogun. Maybe I. I think it could be. I think the only one across all of them actually, actually because, restaurant. Because so. I think I remember the character that does that fight scene was Lord was Lord Tokugawa, I believe. Um, uh, I'm gonna sound like a complete dumbass by the end of this. It's okay. Uh, we'll jo- uh, you can join us. <laughs> We're already there. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> okay, I already know I'm dumb, but when it comes to something intellectual, I don't want to sound dumb. <laughs> There's yeah. moments when I'm editing this podcast and I hear something I say and I just pause listening and just go, why? Why do uh, I do that? I, I, have, I have those moments after intimacy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, same. But, <laughs> but uh, there are different circumstances in my case. But we're going to talk. Moving on. <laughs> so, Momochi berates Goemon for not killing Lupin. Being, you know... The absolute misogynist he is. Mochi blames Fujiko for Goemon's failure. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> it's like, stop playing with pretty girls, um, Goemon, and get your ass and kill him. But also of how pure Goemon is, because he just starts insisting oh. that he never touched her. Yes! <laughs> oh, like, my baby! <laughs> he is precious. He is so precious, and I love... Can I just say, I know this isn't really developed until as the series goes on, but Goemon's trait of just being shy around women, especially Fujiko, it's just so adorable. It is. Because he's, he's this killing machine. He is a killer. As cute as he is, he's a killer. But he's just so shy around women. It's mm-hmm. so cute. <laughs> it's one of my favorite traits of his. Same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also love how he cuts straight to Lupine listening to the exact same DJ. And he's just having none of it. Yeah. yeah Lupin was clearly not a fan of this particular DJ. No. She denies the guy, you see. <laughs> of course. I'd be pretty mad about it, too, honestly. <laughs> Let's see. So uh, Fujiko appears. She seems very desperate. Uh, so she says that she ran away from Goemon. She claims that he saved her life, but then started taking advantage of her. Which... Oh, yeah. The Maniac Goemon scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sure when you first watch it, like, like for audiences back then, like, it might, like, cast some doubt. We're like, oh, is this dude, like, a creeper? But, like, once you, like, you've seen most of the franchise and you see this moment, it's just <laughs> really funny because it's not it oh, yeah. anything it remotely close to him at all. Right. Right. Yeah, because as someone who started watching this with part two and knows how adorable Goemon is, I'm watching, you know, 14-year-old me is watching this part one, and I'm just like, why is this funny? Was this supposed to be funny, or oh? <laughs> I also love that's like Lupin's perception of him at the moment. Right. Yeah. Fujiko just exaggerates how Goemon is. <laughs> and also love how <laughs> once... Once Lupin says he's going to help, they start getting, like, really cuddly on the couch, and Jenkins just on the other <laughs> sofa and just turns away. <laughs> Constantly the third wheel. <sighs> Poor Jigen. So then um, uh, Lupin goes to face... Uh, <laughs> goes to face Goemon in some, like, 
an area that's been like recently like torn down almost. It seems like mm-hmm. a demolished city yeah. that like suffered some tragedy unknown of. Um. Also, <laughs> I love how <laughs> Lupin and Jigen are like just ready to fight each other. And then they both <laughs> accuse each other of being lecherous men. And both are like, what? No, you. Hold on. Hold on. You say Lupin and Jigen? Yeah, you did say Lupin and Jigen. That's why I'm like scratching my head over here. Sorry. <laughs> I don't ever recall Jigen being lecherous, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, clearly you haven't even played the Lupin. True. Oh, Samba Temperado, or Temperado video. But. Oh, yeah, that one, but. We're getting off topic, but yeah, yeah, uh, it was actually Lupin and Goemon, and they're and it's quite adorable because it it's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm not a ledge. No, I'm not a ledge. You are. No, you are. <laughs> I'm not the sadist. No, you're the sadist. <laughs> I was like something I always thought was kind of really kind of funny is if uh, you know, when Goemon's like, me, you're the one that you know, the file to perform every day and night. I didn't think we kind of play Lupin and be like, yeah, I wish, but no. Going on yells in and calls him you lewd and dirty groper. Yes. <laughs> Too much Lupin's like me? A groper? Oh, honey, you flatter me. <laughs> oh man, you know, that that would have been a terrible title for us to use at the start of the podcast. Oh. Oh, and you I'm, flatter me? No. I'm Chris, a lewd and dirty groper. Oh gosh. <laughs> I, I don't want to do that one. No. <laughs> somebody, somebody else can have that one. What, to quote Catbug, why would you do that? In a completely normal and rational development, um, Momochi starts mortaring them. Mortaring? Mortaring. Mortaring. You know, yeah. launching mortars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very medieval, again. <laughs> he goes from like being this really skilled, like like precise swordsman to just ma- like laughing maniacally and just launching bombs at him. Yeah, yeah, more yes, fire. Very quickly. Well, I mean, if nothing else, Bamochi is uh, pragmatic. This is true, indeed. And so we find out that Fujiko made a deal with Momochi to uh, get a get a jewel in exchange for Momochi killing both Lupin and Goemon at the same time. That area I wrote, curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> yeah. Firefly uh, reference. Yes, yes. Uh, my roommates quoted a lot. That's great. And then you get to, like, the goofiest part in the episode, which is where Momochi's talking to Fujiko. You found out that, you know, they had a deal set together. And so <laughs> Momochi realizes that Goemon's hiding somewhere. And he starts <laughs> nervously creating a story about how a computer made him do it. Oh, computer. yeah! The computer that comes out of nowhere. Was he, was he something I thought was funny? It's the way, you know, this is just like pre-faced. It's like, you know, Fujiko asks, you know, why Momochi want to kill his student. And he's like, that's none of your business. Realizes that said students are underneath him. Well, on second thought, yeah, maybe I'll tell you. Yeah, for, <laughs> for no reason, just, just I thought I wanted to tell you. Just want to know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of, one of the best gags in the episode, just how suddenly he shifts. And also, um, we watched. I watched this one a few times to, to uh, prepare the notes, and the second time I watched it, I was oh watching the episode at 1.5 speed, and once it got to that <laughs> moment, it was amazing. 
<laughs> so we did this we like reversed them like wait let me see how this scene plays if i do this so i played the scene at normal speed until the exact moment he realizes that goemon's there then i put it at 1.5 speed so he's like he's like i'm not gonna tell you one second i'm gonna <laughs> like it's just <laughs> it was incredible and of course goemon isn't buying any of that mm-hmm. goemon's like not having any of that and so Goemon quickly realizes, you know, why he wants to kill him. It's pretty simple. Momochi's, Momochi's uh, getting old and wants to retain his championship title of killing the most people by wiping out his uh, his nearest competition. So Goemon backs Momochi into a corner. Momochi grabs Fujiko and escapes, of course, via hot air balloon. Of Obvious conclusion. Which was just yep. sitting out there the Very- whole time. Very Deus Ex Machina, but okay. <laughs> hey, hey, why not, right? But also builds up to... Okay, now this... Act... I keep saying this about this episode because I love it, but this actually might be my favorite beat, which is where Momochi just starts berating Goemon, saying that like he's not as strong or as like, resourceful as Lupin. He's like, uh, if, if you were... Go- or if you were... Would have, like, killed me already, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then... You j- it pans over to, to Lupin, and he just goes, indeed. And, of and course, like a boss, he just fires yeah. at the hot air balloon without even looking at it. That's, that's probably my favorite thing about it, and then just drives off. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, he doesn't look at it. There's a nice explosion. It's, oh, it's just badass. It's it so is. very badass. I love when they do that to Lupin, when they when they give him a bit of badassery, because we know he's a goofy monkey boy and everything but you know he's also a badass thief yeah. <laughs> so when he has those anticlimactic um action sheet action scenes scenes action scenes we, we we celebrate we celebrate a little or a lot you know, it's like yes he's a goofball but he's also a hardened criminal right mm-hmm. very much so he's a criminal with a sense of humor and i love it so basically he's just, oh nah that's a bad joke <laughs> Let's see, so uh, Lupin decides to drive off, and of course, Goemon hops on the back of his car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lupin's like, hey, you know what, don't do this. I'm starting to kind of like you. <laughs> I, I've come to like you. <laughs> of course, Goemon's having none of it, because the apparently that town ain't big enough for the two of them. Yeah, oh yeah, I love the fact that uh, Goemon calls them, we don't need two master killers. <laughs> So Lupin's a master killer. How do you guys feel about that? Um, my I just um, I have I'm not indifferent to it. My only question is how and why? Because well, in, in the manga it was kind of a thing. Well, yeah, of course, but in the TV series so far, I don't think we've kept a list or or know the exact number was, of how many people he's killed. Well, I was going to say he actually has a surprisingly high body count at this point. Yeah. Especially, right. especially in the first episode, where he ends up electrocuting the entire room of a. Mm-hmm. And he does like burn an entire island of all the population. <laughs> yes. He does have a pretty high this body count. Mm-hmm. Right, I just, you know, I also do feel though that perhaps "master killer" was probably not the best phrase to use there for what they were trying to go for. But yeah, <laughs> right. The part thinks it would be really funny if like Lupin's only killed like. The people we see on screen, he's just like in the underworld. He's just called himself a master killer, and the word spread. And then, like when Goemon shows up, he's like, "Shit, 
no, no, no. Gormon's just like, Gormon's just like, uh-uh, I gotta get on his level. <laughs> so, of course, the two have a final duel in the most practical way possible. You know, they just have a Jump fight on a busy freeway. And can you say, I, I love the bit of animation, though, when, you know, we see, like, you know, Lupin, like, jumping from, like, one card to the next. Yes. And, like, and, like the camera's, like, positioned behind him. It's just, that's just so much fun to watch. It is. Also, it I is really so like fun. the shift. I really like the shift of animation, too, because suddenly we got this very um, loose animation, and it was really fun to watch, you know? Yes. Yeah. It didn't feel stiff at all. It felt, like, dynamic and fun. And and you could tell that the animator changed from the scene prior to that. Also, um, can we just acknowledge how that particular scene of Goemon and Lupin fighting in traffic and the fire and all this other stuff um, does get redone in First Contact. Yes. Mm-hmm. D- diff- different contexts entirely, but it gets redone. I love that scene. Me too. And then there's also the fact that Part 5, what, implies that both this episode and First Contact happen somehow? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> somehow. They, 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 made each, they have very short memory spans. Uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but w- off the, their showdown of, on the, uh, the two gasoline trucks. Like oh, yeah. Back and forth where Goemon's like, no gun can kill me. Lupin's <laughs> like, and then you you underestimate the ability of burning liquid, so Koimon like challenges him to do it. Lupin fires it. Very Anakin and Obi Wan almost. It is. Well, I was just going to say, like, can we talk about Lupin's choice of weapon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels like a child's gun. toy. Mm-hmm. It, it probably is. <laughs> I think I it's mean, like a. It looks like a shark super soaker. Yep. Which. If I'm not mistaken, was was an actual item that was for sale at the time. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, you know, you know, a little, uh, what, dolphin-shaped squirt gun? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's a great shot because there's this, like, big close-up where, like, Lupin fires it. Yes. <laughs> it's just, like, him with this really, like, serious, determined face and just, like, a little happy <laughs> dolphin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, I love going on, like, shouting his tokusatsu ability. Where he's like special <laughs> technique tornado return. <laughs> they were really they were trying really hard to make him a ninja at that point. They were. He was the Naruto before Naruto. <laughs> he did do Proto an Naruto run at one point. Mm-hmm, he did. And of course, you get to well, the most uh, the, the part where it like really escalates, where his tornado return gets the liquid everywhere but on Lupin, and just mm-hmm. blows up the entire freeway. I love the animation of the cars just wrecking. Yes. yes. Imagine, yeah. Imagine being on the freeway, like behind everything. But imagine the traffic <laughs> after that. Just like a, like almost a seventy-five car pile up. Just. I, I don't oh. wanna. I've been in that kind of situation before. Oh. Uh, oh, winter of twenty fifteen. It was not fun. It was a seventy car pile up on the highway. Yeah, that's what we call a typical Tuesday night here in the Bay Area. (laughs) (laughs) After Goemon gets the liquid everywhere and recreates the freeway scene from Final Destination 2, um, (laughs) you see a news report that just says, miraculously, there were no casualties. Which is is ironic. 
you know, considering they were trying to kill each other, first of all. Right. <laughs> but how, how are there no casualties? Well, oh, hey, Magic did walk away with a burn on his body. Oh, yeah. That's a specific burn. <laughs> a very specific burn so he's wearing, like, on a his big, body. Like, like a bandage diaper. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that particular little game was very manga-esque, you yes. know? Oh, absolutely. Mm, very. Which, I, which I feel like may have been inspired by a gag from the uh, Pi Cow chapter. I think you're right. Because at the very end, after, you know, when uh, Lupin's asked if the, uh, you know, formula that he sprayed on himself to deflect bullets and flame was effective, Lupin says, yeah, but there's one problem. He drops his pants. You see his crotch is all bandaged up. You missed the spot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Lupin's watching the news report. He sees Fuchiko on the uh, on the TV and realizes hey. that she's double-crossed him once again. Uh, of course. And then we get um, <laughs> we get going on alone in some forest, doing the "I'll get you next time" gadget thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he dramatically splits. Uh, a tree in half, and there's a really like beautiful shot of a butterfly that flies away, and you realize he cut that in half too. Yeah, because the wings just fly apart. Yep. Yep. It's a very beautiful scene. I like. It. Oh yeah. Oh, it's good. So that covers that episode. What What did we all think of this one? Oh, great. I love that episode. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of fun. It has a lot of humor, but also a little bit of seriousness, and. Overall, it paints a nice, pretty picture of what's to come. Mm-hmm. It's a great introduction to Goemon, I feel. Yes. Uh, right. Now that he's in the series, we should expect to see him more, which we right. do. Up to that point, it's like up to episode five. Once episode five of part one starts, it's like, there, there's the Lupin gang. We're good to go. Enjoy the 45 plus years of entertainment we're going to show you. Well, yeah, I, this is one of my favorite episodes as well. I really actually, actually like the whole, uh, you know, Glad My Story arc. Well, Me too. Call, mm-hmm. You can call two episodes separated by another one a story arc, but... <laughs> we'll call it that. You know, as a, as the uh, resident manga scholar, I, I really appreciated the way that it adapted the... Uh, it adapted <coughs> such an original version of the story, but also, in my opinion, improved on it in a few ways. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by flesh- especially by fleshing it out a bit more. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, and, definitely. And honestly, Momochi is actually a really fun villain, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, like, part of me is kind of kind of disappointed that, uh, you know, he gets killed off here, because I think he would have been really fun to see again. Mm-hmm. Right. But at, same, but at the same time, though, I, I understand why. I mean, we do see him again, but not living. Right. We see him. We see him again in the... Um, is Lupin burning OVA um, well, celebrate the 50th anniversary? Well, right. we also we also see his character design at least in uh, Lupin the Third versus Detective Conan the movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, which I I'm not going. Forgot about that. Which I'm not going to uh, spoil it by saying what the context is. Ooh. Right. Because it actually is a pretty big spoiler. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like with, especially with, like, episode four, and, like, with, with episodes four and five, like, we really get, like, my favorite part, like, my favorite area of part one. 
Yeah, it's like, like that it's, really it's, sweet spot from episode four to episode twelve is like my absolute yes. favorite run of the series. Yeah, it's it's just it's just nothing that hits now. Me too. It, yeah, it's like every episode from from that till then is is are good episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because like you really get like like especially with like the little character moments in, in four and five in particular. But like, right. like with, with four, you've got like you know Zenigata like just kind of slowly regretting arresting Lupin. Mm-hmm. And with this one, it's the little bits of like the little smile Fuchiko gives Lupin or Jigen like <laughs> grumpily turning over on the sofa. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and even stuff like the fact that Goemon listens to uh, you know a pop DJ, mm-hmm. right? After complaining about Western culture, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. He's alone. He's just <laughs> listening to his pot. <laughs> which, which is why um, I consider it funny canon that if Lupin was, if like the Lupin the Third series was set during our time, Goemon probably listens to Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, probably. Just doesn't admit it. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, like, the whole thing with the DJ doesn't really come up again ever, does it? Aside from... It kind of does in, like, the first episode of Part well, yeah. 2. Right, but right, because, the... like, in the dub, Jigen has to go ahead and I'm still listening to uh, elevator music. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I was going to say, aside from that, it doesn't really come up again, does it? Not not, not too so, much, no. no. Oh, and also in Part 2, when they were talking about their different tastes and music, like... Uh, that was Enka, though, not uh, not the, you know... Not elevator music. Yeah. Well, it, even so, it wasn't like the, the, the pop DJ, you know? Yeah. Girl t- t- uh, talking about dumping a guy, you know? <laughs> Wait, by the way, let's just another. If you happen to know what, what the DJ is a reference to, please let us know. I think we're all very curious. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> yeah, if anybody finds out, I'm going to look into it. I'd like to uh, Bring, but I, I did like a little search about Japanese radio personalities, and I've, <laughs> I've been trying to limit myself to the 70s, and I could not find much, so. Better than me. I was looking up murder techniques, and then the FBI texted me. I'm just like, <laughs> 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 it's for It's for a book, I swear. <laughs> That's basically what I told the FBI. I'm like, it's for a book. Okay, I know we've got one question for this episode, so I'm going to pull it up here. Okay, so the question we got was from Redwool at Redwool, and they asked, um, Goemon's part one personality is different from the manga. Which personality do you think was better for the story? Oh, definitely part one. The the TV series. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so. mm-hmm. I think it's unanimous here. Yeah. Um, I mean, manga Goemon is enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Very much more mature. But there's just something about Baby Goemon from the TV series that Baby. I get. Yeah, well, that is that is just entertaining. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, I also say like I've always felt like in the manga that you know this is kind of going sort of going against what you were saying, but in the manga I always feel like Goemon is supposed to be you know much younger than the rest of the cast. Yeah, I think it is established that he's much younger than everybody. Yeah, you know, I mean I was just saying like you know I mean I could see him being like in his late teens. Yes. Even. So, like, I, I don't know if I really say that he's more mature in the manga, because uh, this one chapter is called, uh, in English, A Day Without Killing, which we'll 
probably talk about in the next episode of this show, but you know, the way that you know Goemon's teachers are constantly, you know, uh, belittling him and uh, you know criticizing his every movement and the fact that he just like blindly, blindly follows along with them, mm-hmm. you know that it seems more like a I don't know, kind of like an abusive student-teacher relationship. So, which I I think contributes to me feeling like Goemon's or Monkey Punch's Goemon is a bit more immature than oh, he comes across in the anime. Although I did say that, I do think at this point, though, there's not really much difference between the two takes on the character. I've always, like, seen Goemon as, like, like even, like, part one and, and, like, what little of the manga I've seen, I always consider him, like, to be, like, significantly younger than the rest of the gang. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I think it's... I don't think it is established, but I've always seen him as like the youngest of the of the quintet. Like mm-hmm. oh, Zenigod, yeah. Zenigod is the oldest, and then there's there's baby, right? The the precious child. Yes, the the precious <laughs> baby boy. There's there's one chapter of the manga where uh, somebody attacks Goemon, and he he manages to fend the guy off, and after striking him down, we see him sheath his sword, and then he like leans up against a tree where there's this you know, beautiful woman standing next to it, and he just smiles at her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I've always loved that shot. It's, you know, it's adorable. That I is cute. Show me that. It's really yeah. cute. So, but, but yeah, like I, I really don't feel like there's much difference in Goemon's personality compared to the manga. At least not in this episode. Of course, you know, obviously in the manga, Goemon has a much larger body count, and, you know, he shows off exactly how sharp his sword is. Mm-hmm. Right. Man, the part where he, well, actually, I think I'm back. I feel like a blood spray is probably a, a pretty close uh, approximation of what he's like in the original manga. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, blood spray! I can't wait to get to that one. Me too. too. All uh, the goy, all the goymon badassery. That yes. yeah. It, okay, it took him almost fifteen, or it took him almost fifty years to do it. We, we finally got to see it. You know, true. You know what he's really capable of. I I just remember when that came out, and I was explaining the Koki films to my roommates. I was like, um, "Goemon's blood spray. It's as if uh, George R. R. Martin wrote for Lupin the Third, <laughs> <laughs> except without all the sex." It's if if George R. R. Martin wrote it, and if Quentin Tarantino directed it. Yes, right. yes, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> because some things just didn't make sense in terms of how Goemon slaughters the mafia. Single-handedly. Brings, yeah, brings new meaning to the term, catch these hands. <laughs> oh my god. My, my, my roommate said that, my roommate said that. I was going to say, I, I always refer to that as Goemon disarming them. Uh, that's a good one too. <laughs> and so with that, we've covered episodes three, four, and five, and with the exception of three, we're on a roll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's a show. Wait, what do you mean with the exception of three? Episode three. The uh, it's not one of my favorites. Oh, uh, okay. No, we're in agreement there. Well, three was just what the fuck. Like with episodes four and five, like the character work is so much better. The, like, mm-hmm. the stories feel a lot more concise, too. Yeah, I, I just feel like with, like, you know, at this point in the series, like, assuming we finally figured out what direction he was shooting for, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate because around the time that these episodes aired was when he was taken off the project. Yes. Which I wonder what it would what it would have been like if he would have like been able to stay on board for the entire twenty four episodes. I mean, I know it would have been interesting from like a historical perspective because you know Miyazaki and you know would not have got this. Well, I mean, he probably still got started. Just it would have been quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. Because I know uh, part one was one of his, you know, first directing projects. It was, and um, in terms of the history, in terms of what Lupin the Third Part One has done for the careers of a lot of um, creative directors, you know, Miyazaki, Osumi, and so on. Um, I do have to ask the same question that Will posed in his segment in the last episode: is like, what? could Lupin have been had Osumi continued on mm. from that set of episodes? Because Miyazaki, let's just, I mean, we're all in agreement. Miyazaki is an animation and directorial genius. Oh, yes. Um, and a lot of us do appreciate his work. But he toned down Lupin quite significantly um, from the original direction of the character, which was this um, womanizing, lecherous, um, Lewd and dirty groper. Yes. <laughs> um, to the gentleman thief that we have today that I fell in love with. But Osumi kept Lupin, not to, as close to the manga, but very close, mm-hmm. and kept it, and it was very adult. It was very much a grown-up anime. Right. But it was cut short. And... You know, it's very, very, very much so Miyazaki's interpretation that continues on. But what if? That's the big question. What if Osumi was allowed to continue, and we just have the hardcore Lupin throughout the franchise in the fifty years? That would be. I don't know. Like, do you think it would have continued on for fifty years, or do you think it would have died off? Um, I can honestly say it probably would have died off. Yeah. I think, um... I think so, too. As, like, that is... Yeah, as interesting as it would have been... I don't think it would have survived. I think it exactly. would have died off, and it probably would have died off after part one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pro- probably before Miyazaki ever got involved. Like, well, it probably would have died off because they were already trying to push Osumi out, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, quit fighting! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I heard. I'm <laughs> sorry. Jay was having a serious conversation, and then I heard a meow, and then I heard that was my. Hey, knock it off, guys! Stop it! I was, I was gonna say, please tell me you're gonna keep that in. I am. <laughs> that cat meowing is so crisp. I can't lie. <laughs> oh my god. Like I said earlier in this episode, sorry, I got three cats. They like to play. (laughs) Sometimes they like to fight. It's okay. My dogs like to fight, but lately they've just been having the zoomies. (laughs) My cats, I put down these rugs, and ever since I put down the rugs, the cats think it's kitty fight club time. (laughs) Kitty fight club. Uh, first good, first good rule of Kitty Fight Club, we don't talk about Kitty Fight Club. Yeah, <laughs> we, was, yeah first rule, we don't talk about Fight Club, we meow about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, and on that note, I think we'll call it an episode. 
<laughs> I think you're you're absolutely right. We will. Uh, okay, so you can find um, uh, our podcast at Lupon Pod on Twitter and on SoundCloud at Lupon Pod. Um, you can find me at Drew Hunter Fifteen on Twitter. Um, you can- Be- Becca, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Introverted Becca on Instagram. That's about it. Quit meowing back there. <laughs> Keep that in too. Keep that in too. <laughs> I am. <laughs> with, oh with special guests Harry Snuggles and Sweetie. <laughs> uh, so Chris, where can we find you at? Oh, I'm right here. No, um, <laughs> you can. Uh, so you can find me on uh, on Twitter at at Doctor Furball. And uh, I have a uh, webcomic at a weirdinacan dot the hyphen comic dot org. It's, it's on a very a, good comic. Yeah. It's oh, a very you. good comic. And it's actually on Webtoons now, isn't it? The first two chapters, yes. Still got still got to catch up on that. <laughs> got to catch up on my own comic. All right, so Jay, where can we find you at? You can find me at on Twitter at Lupon, L-O-O-P-A-W-N, or uh, Lupon.Sanse at, uh, uh, on Instagram. Nice. And we have a very special thank you to our guest, Natalie. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at, at Kapli Helsing, C-A-P-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G on Twitter. On the Twitter and on the Instagram at Captain Lee Helsing, C A P T A I N L I H E L S I N G. But also be on the lookout. Uh, I'm just going to take the opportunity to plug. I will be starting my long awaited project, um, which I call Ermagerd History, on YouTube, <laughs> where I finished uh, the script for the first episode and it should be up in May, so Ooh. be on the lookout Sweet. for that. Nice. Yay! It's yeah, it's just, basically, it's just basically me um, me telling you guys historical information in a comedic way with sources cited and everything. So I'm basically putting both of my both my history and my theater degree to good use. <laughs> nice. Very Ooh. nice. And with that, we'll call it an episode of Cybirds and Cigarettes. Join us um, uh Next time, we're going to cover episodes... Wait a minute. <laughs> Six, seven, eight. Yeah, we're... I can count. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Why uh, was we... eight afraid of six? <laughs> seven, eight, nine. <laughs> no, exactly. I was going to say, well, at least two, six, and seven. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and hey, uh, congratulations. congratulations, guys, on beating that uh, one... One episode per decade streak we were on. <laughs> yeah! <Woo-hoo! laughs> we'll see ya. <laughs> Toodles! Bye! Bye! Bye.